0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats of all ages, it's time again for another exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast, episode 97. We are recording this on, I gotta check what my watch says, March the 5th. Um, sure. of 2019. Yes. Please don't interrupt Ed. Uh, no so, bad. um, <laughs> so we're back again. We're getting closer and closer to that, uh, magic episode number 100. Uh, there's, I think there's probably a pretty significant chance that episode 98 will be, uh, another live one. Cause I plan on visiting Ed sometime at the beginning of April and hopefully I don't trigger yet another mental health crisis for Ed. Like every other single time yeah, I've rolled into, too. rolled into Pawnee and caused trouble.
1: Yeah, um, we need to talk about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that laugh you hear in the background is our our very special guest today. Now, I will preface this. First of all, I will say this was actually all Ed's idea to have the guest on today. So I'm not going to have too much to say today.
1: But as, uh, wait, as I listeners, didn't, I didn't read his book. I don't know. No, what he's no, I didn't, about. Know. I
0: didn't read his book either. But you're the one that said, "Hey, this guy sounds cool." Plus, we can get discounts I, I on stuff I didn't, for I the
1: listeners. <laughs> say <laughs> he sounds cool. I didn't say. Well, so. no,
0: you said this sounds cool. Not he sounds cool. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Yeah. I'm try to weasel out of this. But as most of the listeners know, we generally don't have a lot of guests on. And, and usually we don't have a guest on selling something because we prefer to sell our own stuff yeah. on the podcast when exactly. it comes down to it. But we do have a guest on today. And our guest is Dane Hillard. Say hello to our listeners. Dane.
2: Hey there. Uh, this is Dane. <laughs>
0: Hey, buddy. See, he fits. He slid right into that <laughs> intro like he's been doing this for ninety six episodes, like us.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is, I think, the beginning of our sellout period. Uh, it's like getting, it's like a YouTube brought to you by Verizon or uh, something like that. Where can you, know, you hear me now?
0: Can yeah. you hear me now? Can you we, hear me now?
1: We uh, we never had guests on who were like because we've had people come and be like. Would you like to be like to have this person on your show? And I, and we were always like, "No, go away." But I think they offered us some free stuff. Like I, uh, I think I think we got like six codes for free books, which I I think just means that I get to have six free books.
0: This is very very true. Uh, uh, and also, we yeah. have a code for like a, a big discount off of a bunch of other. Uh, products from the fine folks at Manning so anyway long story short normally we say no when people want to come on because we're like we're not we're not here to be your like uh, outsourced marketing department but some kind of monkey I mean come on they they offered us some f- free stuff to give away and plus you know I, I do find it interesting I want to hear from somebody who's trying to teach people um, how to do stuff because that's kind of what I do myself um, as the side gig so
1: well uh, anyway wait, you said we were gonna give it away. Give what away? The free stuff.
0: Well, we have codes. Yeah. Well, that's gonna be. Well, no, well I'm gonna well, use the codes. No, I. I don't think that's. I don't think that's good branding. So I wouldn't bother doing it. Why that. did we even well, talk about this? Now they're gonna. Anyway, we're gonna. We're, we're we're gonna tell you. Uh, you're gonna have to listen for all you people who just listen to this to get free shit. You're out of luck because you're going to have to listen all the way to the end of the podcast to find out how you go about getting one of those free codes. So I don't know if you can fast forward to the end, but or maybe we'll just uh, be sneaky and we'll intersperse uh, information on how to get the codes uh, in the middle of the podcast. Anyway, enough of that. I'm sure Dane is just chomping at the bit uh, to talk to us. So, Dane, tell us about the book that you wrote. That is the reason why you're on our podcast. Sure. Um,
2: So this book is uh, a book with Manning about learning Python uh, and specifically um, it's it's kind of intended to uh, cater to people who are switching into software development, maybe from another discipline or, um, you know, use Python to supplement some of the work that they do, whether they're uh, doing data science or computational biology or whatever you you want to imagine. Um, and who might be interested in kind of learning some of the software development principles um, that you would get maybe from like a formal software uh, computer science education um, that they didn't receive. So um, my hope is to kind of bring some of some of the information that um, non-traditional folks haven't received uh, into an accessible format. Neat. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Sorry, I was I was reading the email, sorry. <laughs> no worries. So. Is that uh so uh learn about so people do it stuff with like biology and things like that with Python? They do. I just um,
2: uh weird. Yeah. Uh it's it's sort of like one of the reasons I, I decided this book might gain some footing is um that I have a few a few friends that are in exactly that space. Um And I think there are more people out there like that, um, you know, with sort of scripting languages and and some of these languages that are seem to be more approachable to folks. Um, I think a lot of people are um, taking some sort of foray into software. Right. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm reading the description for the book Code Like a Pro. Mm -hmm. Software Development Python. And it says, you'll find easy to grok examples. Now, I wanted to point out that one time I tried to use the word grok at work. And a millennial yelled at me and said it was stupid and never to say that again. So, okay, so Ed,
0: when I come for a visit, I want you to point out that coworker of yours to me when we're at your office, and we'll have a little chat on respecting your elders.
1: Yeah, that's probably <laughs> no. She has no respect for me. It's terrible.
0: Having these people, having these kids read a book. I mean, not rock.
1: In the books I know.
0: I mean, I know what Grok means, and and clearly Dane knows. Unless Dane's editor slipped Grok into there, and Dane was just like, "I like cashing these checks," so go ahead and put it on the cover.
2: <laughs> no, Grok "groc" is a Danism
0: all the way. Oh, ah, uh,
1: so uh, Daneism. I like that. I like that kind of confidence. This <laughs> says this book is going to be <laughs> published in fall twenty nineteen. Is this
2: even done? It is not done. Um, I am I am in the midst, um, and with with Manning, the way that they. Do the books um, as you're as you're writing things. They release chapters uh, mm. incrementally, uh, and so if you are to go there right now and look, um, you can buy like I'm not exactly sure what all the options are. You can get like the the live digital book now as it happens, right. along with you know whatever the PDF and the print book or the whatever formats you really desire, I suppose. Um, but then there's sort of a, a forum and discussion board that people can provide feedback along the way, which is helpful to me because I haven't done this before either. Oh, okay.
1: Now, I've never written a, I, I wrote a, a chapter for a book once and then the book was canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chris has written a book, uh, but I don't think it had an editor. So tell me about- your Wow, for, shots fired. I know. <laughs> Just trying to keep things. I have
0: actually written five books. Ed is just trying to troll me here, but little small uh, technical books, uh, not some big um, uh, fantasy novel-length book like I'm sure Dane's book is. Like mm-hmm. like no more than a hundred pages because I'm old and I'm tired and I want to spend like. 10 to 12 weeks writing a book and that's it. So um, that's what I tend to do. I was actually kind of um, curious. And yes, Ed, I got editors and you, you can, you're insulting Joe Ferguson's wife by claiming that I have no editors on my book. So good one there, Ed. Oops. Um, uh, so I've done my books for lean pub, which is a kind of like do it yourself type publisher. So I'm kind of curious uh, to find out Dane, What's the tooling like for people who are going to write stuff for Manning? I'm sure they have their own system, but what do they, what do they make you use in order to crank out a book for them?
2: Uh, in terms of sort of my everyday writing, um, it's actually all written in uh, ASCII doc markup, which is kind of cool. It's not as good as Markdown. I like Markdown a little better, but uh, it supports cross-referencing and all that kind of stuff. And so it's all kind of... You know, written as code, which I kind of like. Um, I like being able to um, update everything in version control and keep track of all the changes I made because I would not be able to do that otherwise. <laughs> um, and then um, I don't honestly know what sort of their processing tooling looks like to produce you know the live book and the PDFs, um, but it's all it all uses that ASCII doc as a as a source of truth. So.
0: Ah, so you just do your like writing of the book, and then you just email, or or I guess since you said you're using version control, so you share a repo with whoever uh, you need to at Manning, and they take care of the rest. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. Sweet.
2: Yeah. Um, sweet, so I sweet, just use. I, I have a variety of IDEs. I guess that I switch between sometimes, but uh, lately I've been using like RubyMine, which has an AsciiDoc um, preview plugin, so you can you can write your AsciiDoc and then see how it roughly would look as a PDF. Um, and then ship that up.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, LeanPub does all uh, markdown, so I've used I'm mostly a Vim person, so I, mm. I wrote all my books um, in Vim and then made sure all the code examples worked using an editor. Since I was a PHP guy, the books, uh, PHP Storm's the thing I've been using the last little while, but RubyMine is like, it's the same JetBrains thing, right? Yep,
2: exactly. Um, and for my Python stuff, I'm familiar with PyCharm already, so the the whole kind of JetBrains suite is familiar to me.
0: JetBrains is good and it's even better now that Gary Hawkins doesn't work for them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man, so
1: much better. They really changed, they uh, really turned the corner there once that's It's that just happened.
0: so much snappier and I don't have don't have PHP Storm randomly insulting me on Twitter like they used to. So that's pretty good. <laughs> oh,
1: that was good. Those good times. Good. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, I'm reading this book now, so I thought i'd, I'd start I told uh, you
0: don't don't use one of the free coupons that I told you
1: I got forty percent off.
0: It's true all right, so a little bit of a different tact here I want to talk about so so Dane, clearly the book is aimed at somebody who has some sort of experience or perhaps an affinity for numbers, and they're like looking for a uh a programming language or a set of tools to kind of help them um. Do their job better or accomplish tasks that they can't accomplish with the current set of tools that they're using. In your experience of like writing the book and then like talking to people who are doing, you know, who are like the target audience for your book, are you finding there's like a common set of things that people are stumbling over or concepts are having a really hard time um, grasping?
2: Yeah, I think some of the big things that I've that I've seen, um, like I, ha- I have a friend who uh, is using Python for uh, computational chemistry, and he sent me some of his Python code samples from time to time, uh, and sort of talked to me about what he's struggling with. And um, I think one of the one of the sort of big things that I see is um, trouble with uh, encapsulation and separation of concerns and loose coupling, um, and trying to figure out like you know as as my software gets to a certain size, um, it's really hard to keep. All of it in my head at once. So how do I how do I effectively like break it up um, into something that I can understand a little bit at a time, and that still does what I'm trying to do? Um, so that's that's where I've spent a focus um, for for a couple of chapters, and I plan to do a couple more uh, deeper as I go later into the book.
1: Good job, Chris. Where are you?
0: I'm right here. What do you mean where am I?
1: Where you wait for me to jump in? I'm I'm not I'm doing stuff. I was looking at pictures on Dane's website. It's about photography.
2: Oh yeah, that's my uh, photography side hobby.
1: This says you live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, so that one
2: uh, probably still needs to get some updating. Uh but where do you live now? Uh, I am in Pittsburgh as of about I guess six or six Six or eight months ago. Um, yeah. What'd you move there for? Uh, girl.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a good reason. That's yeah. Well, that's real. that's uh, a very, very, very solid, solid choice. Yeah, solid we, were,
2: choice. we were both further from from Pittsburgh, and uh, she got a job here, and it was kind of in between the two of us, so. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, it was easy meeting
1: point. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Have you ever been to Branding Brand?
2: <laughs> I have not. <laughs>
0: Is that a real place? Oh, that's...
1: Yes, no, it's a real place. Branding brand. Let me find it. Branding, branding.
0: I refuse to reuse the joke I made before we started recording, so I'm not going to go there about branding brand. Anyway. Um, Brandingbrand.com. So, yes, did, thank you, Ed, They for were very nice. They
1: invited they were, me to talk there. That's right. It that
2: reminds me of, like, Bodie McBoatface. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you're repaying brandy, brand, Branding Branding Brands. Uh, A hospitality by making fun of them on the podcast. So we are totally on brand.
1: I haven't said anything bad about them. This is all on you.
0: Oh, sure it is.
1: And Uh, Dane, he's really, he's jumped in on this. He's (laughs) tearing them up. It's embarrassing. I went there and they had, um, I think they had some foosball tables and uh, like, beanbags bags to
0: sit in, so very so, startup yeah. McStarty-type to type uh, set up, but yeah, they were
1: real cool. I mean, it was nice. I you know, I had become talk, and it was it worked out pretty well. So talk about mental health stuff, but it was good. No, they were real. It was it was a it was a good place. It seemed like a good place. Uh, All
0: right, cool. Yeah, so whatever. to 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 go back to Dane because the show's not always about us, Ed. So to go back what? to Dane. Uh, I'm wondering if, like, you're talking about some of the things that people are struggling with, and I'm wondering, you know, if people are, are, if, if they're planning on making, like, software development, like, the focus of what they're going to work on, I know this is going to sound really weird. But do they really need to care about encapsulation and separation uh, and all that sort of stuff Stuff that like programmers who've been doing it for a long time care about because we inevitably have to go back and modify things and maintain things and update things. But for a lot of these folks, I mean, maybe you can correct me because you're obviously more of an expert on this, but it seems like their use of scripting languages and tools are kind of like a, um, a one off. They're doing just what they need to do in order to get the task done and then move on to the next thing, or am I kind of like misunderstanding the mindset that the folks are showing?
2: No, I think, um, I think what you've just said actually is kind of precisely where my audience, my intended audience probably is right now. Um, and I think what I, what I hope and what I, what I want to find are are those people who are in that space, but who are interested in and, and see that there's, um, a path forward into building bigger software and doing uh, sort of larger projects, building applications, um, and not sure what aspects um, might make those things successful for them. Um, so to me, that that is those are some of the, the sort of aspects that make uh, larger projects successful. And I also kind of want to emphasize that there's this balance, right, between um, development and refactoring and uh, good sort of upfront practices as you design your software. Um, They're all sort of, you know, as a developer, you're kind of constantly spinning all these plates. Um, So my hope is to tell them basically what some of those plates are and uh, prepare them to start spinning them.
0: That's actually a pretty good analogy. I kind of like that one. So, so of, feel course, free uh, to, of course, feel the, free big, to the, use the the i <laughs> sure <laughs> well, thank you for permission. So the big thing, uh, the, big, the thing I'm wondering is do you even bother uh, teaching in your book folks about um, Writing tests for your stuff because that is 100. percent I mean, Dane probably doesn't know this, but that's 100 percent my wheelhouse, which is the unit testing and testing theory um, you side will of not things.
1: not shut up about this. Stuff.
0: Well, <laughs> why would I? Sh- why would I shut up about it? It's I make a very good living doing that exact thing. So I'm just curious uh, if if uh, you think it's uh, people transitioning to doing that type of software development if it's worth teaching them testing at the same time? Because this is a question I've been asked about, can you teach people who are somewhat new to a language? Could you teach them to use the language through, for example, um, unit tests, using something like PyTest in Python? Because that's what I do at my, my current day job with Mozilla. I'm using PyTest all the time for stuff, and I've taught people about using PHP unit for PHP. But I've always wondered if you could actually teach somebody programming with unit testing being a central uh, part of the methodology.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think if you could do that successfully, that is an effective uh, teaching curriculum, whatever whatever you find that, uh, that ends up with that as an outcome. Um, I do have a chapter, in fact, the chapter that I just finished up uh, most recently about testing. Um, and so, I mean, this book obviously is not a testing book. Um, so I, I haven't chosen to focus too deeply on it but um, what I did do was kind of talk about uh, the difference between functional testing and and other types of testing, performance testing and the like Uh, and then within functional testing uh, the difference between unit testing and integration testing and regression testing and that kind of thing Um, and give people a bit of an introduction to unit test and pi test and how how they differ and what their advantages are Um, so there's a, there's a definite call out to that, but, um, certainly not spending the majority of the book on that.
0: Well, I think I just actually wiped away a tear. That's pretty good.
1: That's nice. Not spending the majority of your time on it. Do you hear that,
0: Chris? (laughs) Well, you know, that's how it rolls sometimes. I've, I've I've learned to accept other, I've learned to accept other people's failings. It's okay. (laughs) That's understandable.
1: Yeah. That's fine. fine. It's fine, it happens, you know. It's okay, it's all right. Hey, there, uh, just so everybody knows, uh, it's like the FDA issued a safety alert. Some cosmetics sold by Claire's found asbestos in them.
0: What does that have to do with Dean's book?
2: I don't know, but I need to go clean out my closet real quick with some, yeah, you might need Claire's, to. I guess.
0: Yeah, I was is gonna get cl- my is, is ears isn- there. Isn't Claire's like a like a like a competitor to Hot Topic or something like
2: that? They definitely it's, run in the same
1: uh, the same sort of, malls. Claire's is for the socials, whereas uh, Hot Topic is more for the greasers.
0: As a as a, a true story, Ed, uh, my my wonderful wife used to own Claire.ca as the domain name. And I told yeah. her she should have like sold it to Claire's in Canada, but she just let it lapse, and then they snapped
1: it. Oh up. no! They really did take oh, it. Wow.
0: Yeah, they did. Yeah.
2: That was awful.
0: Well, it's, she just doesn't have the nose for business. That's all.
2: We can get Claire.dev now.
0: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> What did you say? The hot topic for the non-greasers would really want to have Claire.dev. So I looked at grumpy.dev and of course somebody owns it already.
1: Son of a gun. You could probably sue them for trademark infringement.
0: Maybe. Once I finally run out of business ideas, I'll just hire a lawyer for my company.
1: (laughs) You'll just be a patent troll.
0: That's right. Start demanding licensing fees for using my picture in their presentations and stuff. It'll make me Mm -hmm. super popular.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. People love that. That's great super awesome so uh this, so has this uh process of writing this book dane has this been terrifying
2: yeah i would uh i would say that it has been a little bit um i right. mean let's go into deep detail on that on the on this whole process yeah, I'd be happy to to talk through that so especially the terror <laughs> uh I'll see if I can describe it amply um okay so I guess, you know,
0: uh,
2: in this particular case, I don't know if this is always true, but, uh, Manning reached out to me to ask, like, are you interested in writing a book? Um, uh-huh. and I think I had been, you know, doing blog posting and, and tech writing a little bit for a while, uh, online. So I think that's probably mm-hmm. how they found me. I don't know what else would have clued them into me being interested. Um, and so, uh, it sort of immediately, Upon receiving that, you begin to kind of question your your own validity. <laughs> like am, right. is, this, is this me? Why would why would anyone think I'm interested in doing this or capable of doing this? But mm-hmm. um then I, I don't know. I, I guess from that point I kind of um decided that my interest in in teaching other people how to do stuff with Python was strong enough that I would try to take it on. And, uh, I mean, that was maybe, uh, nearly a year ago, 10 months. Uh-huh. Um, so it's been, you know, even up to now, I'm barely halfway through the book. Um, it's actually been quite a while in the works. Um, mm. and, you know, Chris mentioned like 10 to 12 weeks writing a book. That sounds like a fantasy to me. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think, um, since then mostly it's it's been this case of like this is the most teaching i've ever done and as with any skill uh kind of the f- the further you go into it the more you realize you don't know it yet um and i will say to sort of to your earlier question which we didn't get much into about having an editor um mm-hmm. i think i think like the the real value in having an editor for me has been um someone really pushing back on whether some of the wording that I choose and some of the, the phrasing that I choose really is the best way to get someone to understand the concept. Um, uh-huh. you know, there's with programming, there's so many overloaded words and terms that, um, sometimes we say things that we wouldn't even realize people could take more than one way. Um, And so having an editor is, is nice for calling out a a lot of that stuff. Um, But yeah, the terror is mainly in like, can I, can I do this obviously? And also um, realizing how big a job it is to teach. Hmm, Interesting.
1: Chris, how do you think that compares to your experience?
0: Well, Sadly, it's apples versus oranges, right The approaches were were very, very different. I went into it with a goal of doing a, a book that was very, very small, mm-hmm. so I didn't have to confront the the uh, sheer abject terror of trying to crank out something that's three to four hundred pages long. I deliberately decided uh s- small small targeted topics lead to small targeted books and it was an activity I could do um in the wintertime when I didn't feel like doing anything outside so um But, you know, Dane is correct that when you write a book or even or there are parallels to doing conference talks, oftentimes in the process of doing the research to do a talk or doing the research necessary to write a book, you discover that you probably understood way less about the topic in question than you thought um, at first. But then by the time you're done the book, like. Uh, it is something that you are should re- unless it's like literally a throwaway book and you never do anything with the topic again afterwards. You should come out of the process like literally being an expert on the topic, able to talk um, about it at length forever and ever.
2: Yep, well, and I let's think, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I was going to say too. I think uh, you know having small focused topics uh, really really allows you to do that um, and sort of a book a book like the one I'm doing where I'm, I'm trying to pull in several different facets of of development I I do worry about that sometimes too that's sort of another fear of mine is like you have to strike this balance between teaching enough of each of those facets for it to be useful um, but not spending I don't know the whole book on a particular facet of it um, and again my goal is to like, strike or tell people that they have to strike this balance between all of these facets. So I kind of have to strike the same balance in teaching all of them.
0: Ooh, very meta. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. So Ed, what have you learned from looking at Dean's book? Um, I was reading
1: another book actually <laughs> called Docker and practice. Uh, it is interesting. Uh, if you go to the Manning website, You can like preview, like parts of books, and the thing I find uh, most interesting is that they have this weird thing that like reveals the part of the book that you're that's like in the window frame right now, and then it um like goes away, like it's got a bunch of gibberish, and uh, Uh, what I have to pay? Oh no. Your free trial is up. I, free guess so. I clicked on it once and now it wants me to, it won't do it anymore. <laughs> That's stupid. Anyway, I can click to unlock this paragraph. I'm clicking. I don't want to purchase. This is, oh, this hurts me.
0: All right. So while Ed is busy trying to figure <laughs> out how to steal eBooks from, from Manny. So, yeah, so Dean, I what's, uh, what's your background in programming? Like what led you to this terrible decision to write a book? <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: uh, I, I mean, so for me, it's, it's been a much sort of more traditional uh, computer science uh, education route. Um, so I went to university of Michigan um, and then graduated in 2011 um, and I, I did a computer engineering major, which is kind of a, a hybrid of computer science and electrical engineering. Um, and Ed, he's
0: so young.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, what, what are you talking about? And uh, I guess, like, at the time in Michigan, uh, the embedded software engineers were all uh, basically destined to work for Ford or Toyota or something, um, which I didn't really have an interest in. So... Um, I kind of went mostly on to the, the software side of things since then. Um, and I've worked in research and development for um, some military applications. I've worked in bioinformatics um, and now I'm working kind of in higher education space. So I mean, it's been it's been a cool path, I guess, um, for those sort of secondary areas of, of focus that I've had at these positions. but. Um, I guess with Python, I've been at it about, I don't know, six years now. Um, and I I was doing PHP myself, uh, before that, um, haven't used it since if I'm being honest, but, um, Python has been, uh, kind of my, my go-to language for a while. Um, starting to get into, into JavaScript a little bit more now. Um, but I think... I want other people, I guess, to be able to pick up a language um, and experience some of the same, I guess, joy, like you'd call it joy. That I had with uh, with Python when I first started using it.
0: Man, so. he is really young, not a recent him. university grad. Talking about joy associated with programming. There's no and joy. There's no the joy. The world has been very kind to Dane, as far as I can tell.
1: Yep, this isn't going to work out. I just want
2: you to understand that. <laughs> I have
0: a plenty of, of have, a lot of
1: bad things are going to happen. I
2: have decades ahead of me to become disillusioned. So,
0: Yeah. it won't. It won't take decades. <laughs> when you're doing you're doing JavaScript. It's coming up real quick. <laughs> if if ed's Twitter feed and complaints about JavaScript are any indication of, is ahead for you,
1: yeah, you should probably just give up now, think about uh
0: no no no, 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 don 't give up. you still have you, we need more uh we need more happiness and joy in the programming world not everyone not everyone who 's in it should be cynical like me right? <laughs> uh, ed doesn 't do any p h p at all anymore as far nope. as I know, um, and I just do p h p stuff um to support my side business and then a couple open source projects that I do stuff for. But uh, I'm Python's my day to day thing. I'm Python and Pytest is what I'm basically using all the time. So, um, Pycharm user love the tool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've found I've told other people this. Once you learn, kind of learn one of these. I believe the derogatory term for them is dynamic Algol languages. Once you learn one of these ones, one of the like Perl, Ruby, uh, PHP, Python, or JavaScript. Once you learn one JavaScript. of those. Java, it's a Canadian pronunciation. JavaScript. Yeah, once you, once, uh, I'm not going to say it the other way. So, uh, once you learn one of those, you uh, flip in between them to accomplish tasks. Isn't that difficult? I mean, just, a lot of it's just syntactic sugar, uh, and especially with, uh, if you really lean into using your your tooling, pick a good IDE and other associated tools, you can switch back and forth pretty easily.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I did do some Ruby work um, for a few months, um, a few years ago, and I, I found it pretty analogous to Python uh, in terms of syntax and features, and it, it largely largely looked the same. Um, you can argue about performance and, and true use cases and junk, but um, like you said, I think they are pretty easy to switch back and forth.
1: Oh, I'll definitely argue about it. Not, <laughs> not, not on my TOB index.
0: That was our. That was the subject of our last podcast, where we were talking about popular stuff. Uh, I, I, I have noticed. I have done a little bit of Ruby in the past too. I, I agree with Dane that Ruby, Ruby, and Python are, are very, very similar. Um, and PHP is a way out there in, uh, in a non-stop array and dollar sign land, all the way over oh, yeah. on corner, busy powering the rest of the internet. And continuing to make me non-trivial amounts of money, so I mean, whatever. We could argue about about this stuff forever, and we're here to make fun of Dane's book, not talk about how shitty PHP is. So, um, <laughs> uh, so, so, what's the end game here then, Dane? You you do this book for Manning. You've, you're going to hopefully get it done in time, so it's not late. Uh, and and then what like w- w- did you have an end goal in mind when you did the book did you just decide i'm going to write a book for the experience of writing the book do you have some are you like me where you're very machiavellian and it's just part of a a uh, master plan to build yourself up like what what do you thinking is the end goal here for you in regards to, like once the book is done then what are you thinking about next
2: yeah it's a good question and i'm not sure i've fully thought out the answer to that um i think that you know, the, the sort of, uh, name recognition is obviously like a clear benefit of it. Right. But, um, I would love to sort of use this as a, as a springboard, I guess, to like doing more teaching and, and, um, finding ways to sort of spread my education effort a little bit further. Um, I, I like, besides this book right now, my Outlets are kind of limited to the various like forums on the internet, Twitter, uh, Dev. that kind of stuff. Um, and I think, I think being able to uh, just experience some of that that uh, name recognition and and being able to have folks say like, oh, this this person is a name I've heard. Maybe I'll read this article and figure out what they have to say, and hopefully they'll learn something from it. Um, that's that's probably about it at the moment.
0: <laughs> I don't think there's a, I don't think there's any right answer. I was just yeah. kind of just just kind of curious. Ed and I have gone through that. Uh, people recognize who you are within a larger community thing, and uh, sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. But uh, I guess the key is uh, always what you end up doing with your uh, newfound fame. So you you mentioned side stuff. And we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast. So you do have a side hobby of uh, photography. Why don't you talk a little bit? Because I always tell people when I meet them at conferences, I'm far more interested in what my fellow speakers and attendees do uh, when they're not sitting in front of the keyboard. Because, uh, the you know, there's such mine really, d- despite our desire to make it sound as if there are huge differences in what people do in programming. Uh, when you look at it realistically we're all in almost a very tight uh, the, the Venn diagram of everyone that goes to a conference is almost uh, a complete circle overlaid over top right so mm-hmm. it's not not a lot of variation're we're, we're using programming languages and we're hopefully solving things and we're busy arguing about shit that probably um, doesn't matter. you mentioned performance. Uh, you know, I've always been a big believer in it's likely that your database is slowing your app down more than whether you're using single quotes or double quotes in your PHP scripts. But people, people love to think that the shit that they think is important is, is actually important. So, so talk to us a bit about the photography thing. How did, how did you uh, get into it and what are you looking to get out of it?
2: Yeah. um, I started really getting serious about photography, I guess around the time I went to college. Um, My dad had been a, a, a I wouldn't say avid photographer but frequent photographer uh for a long time and um kind of just an art art focus in general art interest in general um and so kind of when I went to college and needed some way to uh have have fun in some free time I chose to chose to explore that um and it kind of started i guess with um you know, when when you start with photography, it's kind of easiest to take photos of just like whatever's around you, whatever's nearest. Um, So started out obviously with just like pictures of campus, pictures of, um, you know, nature. There's a park in Ann Arbor, taking a lot of pictures there. But uh, eventually I decided that I kind of was interested in uh, portrait photography, people specifically, um, and kind of fashion photography. So. A lot of my stuff is personal style and, um, fashion work and portraiture. Um, I've done a few weddings and that was pretty rough. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> probably ever do that as a full-time gig. Um, I might do it again, but, um, not ever as a, as a full-time thing. It's just too much undue stress. I feel like, um,
0: just do- just double your rates next time. Yeah. Fine. Well,
2: that is, that is one way to, uh, to cope. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, I think for me, photography is like a, a way to pursue something creative that other people can also benefit from. So, um, I sort of like working with fashion bloggers and and people who, um, are in the fashion industry and need work done. And then, um, we both get good stuff out of it for our portfolio and that kind of thing. Um, and I guess since I moved to Pittsburgh, I haven't done it a whole lot, partly because I've been writing this book, um, partly because it's winter now, and that's always a slow time. But, yeah, it's uh, it's been a good hobby, expensive hobby.
0: Expensive hobbies are always lots of fun. Yeah. Ed, what book are you reading now? Uh, I'm reading this
1: article on Deadspin about this... Uh, a uh, comedian who had her like some video that she made stolen by Barstool Sports.
0: Oh yeah, I saw a little about that. See, dane, one of the on, one of the ongoing sources of tension when we do the, this yep. podcast mm. is the fact that I actually devote my full attention to yep. when we're doing the podcast and Ed is forever doing something else yep. instead of focusing on the podcast it used to be uh you used to play what was that game you'd be playing all the time Ed, which was the uh, fallout shelter one yeah that's yeah. the one so now you're yeah. busy reading articles on Dead Spin and, mm-hmm. and being incredibly rude to our guests at the yep. same time
1: yep basically um i'm interested dane what do you feel that like do you think there's any crossover between your interest in 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 programming and, and what you do with photography? Uh, or do you feel like they just scratch di- completely different itches? Do you see any sort of like common threads between them?
2: I do think there's a connection there. Um, part of it is like the, the idea of creating something. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you can argue how much from scratch all programming is, but um, essentially from scratch, like thinking of something and then, Producing it with your own effort, um, I think it's it sort of, sort of at a at a um, more tangible level. I think I have an interest, kind of in in generative art, um, but I haven't done much with that yet. I think it'd be mm-hmm. pretty cool. A um, couple of conferences I've attended recently, people are doing like live coding of music and things like that too. Which uh, music is another uh, another interest of mine. So. Um, that space is, is really interesting to me at the moment.
1: That's really cool. Like what kind of music stuff are you into?
2: Um, I, in terms of what I have done, uh, mostly, mm-hmm. mostly recently, uh, sort of acoustic folk, um, singer songwriter type stuff. Um, oh, okay, and cool. album on iTunes from like three years ago. Right, um, and I guess, uh, what I would be interested in is a little more, um, electronic stuff and, um, sample like crazy sampling of music and including some live coding and, and generative music stuff. I think that'd be pretty sweet.
1: Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Interesting.
2: Yeah. yeah. And like I said, I haven't explored it much yet. So it's still a this sort of nebulous, weird thing to me, but, um, the talks I've seen on it, people are doing really cool shit. So
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Huh. Chris, do you ever do anything creative ever?
0: <laughs> wow. Uh, well, other than so, my biggest hobby is probably still I, I play that uh, uh, children's collectible card game, uh, Magic the Gathering, and have sunk way too much money um, into cards. But every, anyone who plays that game can tell you it's basically it. But in terms of like uh, air quote creative things um well hobby wise like i play board games every month with a group of mine and we also have started adding um a role-playing game component to it because we're all a bunch of old dudes who played dungeons and dragons in the 1980s so um i do get to get a little bit more into non-technical writing of things by um i'm currently running a campaign a fantasy campaign using a game system called dungeon world and uh we're getting ready to do the first episode of that but we we play all sorts of stuff um i uh, because i I've worked remote for so long I deliberately pick hobbies that force me to have human contact so um monthly board game uh nights are good for that magic the gathering is good for that too for the social aspect just so I don't end up like completely alienated from the world like ed is
2: yeah that's uh important to know sure. too because I'm remote now too so
0: don't end up like me. <laughs> That's right. Build a life away from the keyboard. Ed is doing much better at that. But uh, he yeah. can—he would be the first to admit—for a long time, he was not very good at that part of uh, part of part of living, part Don't of adulting.
1: Know. Nope. <laughs> nope. Now it just helps that I go into a to a, an office. Yeah. Yeah. Um
0: office. How long? So, how did you work remote um, before you moved to Pittsburgh, Dane?
2: I did not. Um, we have an office in Ann Arbor. Um, so i was working out of there i'd been in ann arbor for like 10 years uh, at that point so I was pretty familiar with uh, the town and you know you, it's it's not a very huge town so you start to kind of know the same people and and Get to know everyone and the, the happenings and everything. Uh, after. And as
0: far as I can, and as far as I can tell, ninety nine percent of all property in Ann Arbor is owned by the University of Michigan.
2: As far mm-hmm. as I can yeah, tell, yeah, that sounds um, that sounds accurate. I, I've
0: been to, I've been to Ann Arbor a whole bunch of times. I have a, a very good friend of mine is a University of Michigan alumni, and we've been to a bunch of uh, of the University of Michigan uh, hockey team. We've been to a bunch of their games at the arena there. So oh, I've yeah. been to I've been to Ann Arbor many many times.
2: Yeah, I guess. Um, with and, and,
0: Go ahead. I was just going to say, I I, I I live only two hours from Detroit um, in the uh, snowy wilds of uh, southwestern Ontario. So I have been to Michigan many, many, many times over the years.
2: Oh, yeah. There's a lot of crossover at that border.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I, I guess Ann Arbor is somewhat unique in that uh, aspect where the campus is a, is a pretty strong integration with the rest of the town. Um, like a lot of the university buildings are on essentially the same streets as as downtown Ann Arbor if you will um so it also appears like the university owns more than it probably does (laughs) oh
1: yeah
0: is is Purdue like that, um, Ed? Because uh, Dane doesn't know this, but Ed worked uh, at Purdue for many, many years. So, is, oh, yeah. is, and and you've taken me around a little bit to show me some of Purdue last time I was there. But is Purdue like that, or where they have buildings all interspersed um, throughout uh, uh, West Lafayette?
1: less so uh it's pretty the campus is pretty sort of contained uh in one space which is most of west lafayette i guess it feels that way and then um but then the rest of it is outside hang on (coughs) oh boy i have a sneeze button um yeah uh so like it's not sort of interspersed it's not spread around as much um so yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of contained in one one area in the middle of it, and then Lafayette uh, is uh, is much bigger than West Lafayette, and it is doesn't have any Purdue stuff in it technically.
2: I've been over to Purdue a couple times, but I guess I've only ever really been in the student union
1: oh yes well i worked at purdue for about 10 years so i went to the student union many times to go get coffee and then probably get made fun of by students so (laughs) yeah so that happened we're uh kicking your ass though in uh, basketball
2: this is this is true we haven't we haven't been strong in sports uh super strong in sports ever since i started attending so yeah what the heck man yeah I don't know if it's I don't know if it's correlation or causation
0: there, but hey, yeah, you
2: gotta beat oh, Ohio oh. State. Come on,
0: it's it's totally your fault, Dave. <laughs> but it's okay. It's, I just say it's the curse of Harbaugh, personally, but that's just how it goes.
1: No, yeah. it absolutely is the curse of Harbaugh. No, no doubt about that. <coughs> hey, did you see that? Uh, what's that guy is it, Bryce Harper.
0: Yeah, what about Harper. Bryce Harper? I'm I'm the I'm the, uh, the the baseball fan on the podcast. Yes. What about Bryce Harper? He signed
1: a 13-year contract.
0: He did for less money than people thought he was going to get. He took uh he took less money uh but took a longer term than what mm-hmm. was expected. Yeah. And and surprisingly, uh bucked the recent trend of players sign who signed long contracts um, getting opt-out clauses put into them so they could like leave after a couple of years mm. and make even more money. He decided to like commit totally to uh, to Philadelphia and basically said, "I want this to be my last contract, and I'm hoping to retire as a Philly," which is uh, kind of interesting, kind of um, bucks the trend where. Um, a lot of baseball players understand their window to make ridiculous amounts of money is like really, really narrow. For example, Manny Machado, who was the other prime free mm-hmm. agent, right. he signed. So, so Harper signed for 13 years, $330 million, which is a ridiculous amount of of money, but it just shows sure. shows shows you that pretty much every uh, entity that owns a baseball team is lying when they say that they're poor because yeah. there is plenty of money going around if people can get paid that. Machado signed for ten years, three hundred million, so um, fewer years and fewer overall, but uh, he gets more money per uh, per season, and he has an opt out clause after five years. So if he doesn't like what's going on um in 5 years you can opt out. I thought it was interesting because it because uh it looks like there's probably going to be some sort of labor stoppage in baseball in like 2022 2023 when the I can't remember exactly when the current uh bargaining agreement is up and I I would lay pretty good money that they're going to miss a whole year um as the players and owners as billionaires argue with millionaires over how to split up <laughs> Uh, trillions of dollars of revenue, so
1: oh man that's going to be rough yeah. for you
0: uh it it will be um you know because uh i'm I'm a huge baseball fan I've played fantasy sports and simulation baseball for twenty plus years it, it will be rough if there's no season but um you know uh, uh, over the years i have uh um, my opinion on baseball has uh, swung towards the side of the players over the owners and I believe the players continually get a raw deal and and there are much there are much better systems that they can build baseball on top of where everyone involved still makes ridiculous amount of ridiculous amounts of money but uh, the players don't get screwed out if you look at I know we're like doing a huge digression here but pretty much every other baseball is the only pro sport major pro sport in North America left that doesn't have a um, salary cap yep. right uh-huh. um, and because there's no salary cap, they have they have a, an unofficial salary cap with this competitive balance tax, which means if you're mm-hmm. if your payroll is over a certain amount, you, you pay penalties. So teams are treating the that the luxury tax threshold, as it's called, they're treating that as a de facto cap. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas in most sports, it's divided 50 50 right now in baseball, it's something like 60 40 in favor of the owners. So the. In baseball, the players' union is actually pretty weak these days. They've rolled over pretty good on a lot of things during the last time they negotiated a contract. So if I was running the players' uh, union, uh, I would be asking for a whole bunch of um, concessions because it's very, very clear that unlike some other sports, uh, hockey you could probably get away with it. Football, they only took them a couple of weeks to break the union when they brought in replacement players' The skill level of minor league players is way, way below what it is in Major League Baseball. And I think uh, a product with replacement players would just be absolute garbage and and the fans wouldn't go for it. But of course, I say this knowing that in any kind of dispute, especially in baseball, the fans side with the billionaire owners uh, like 999 times out of a thousand, which just boggles my mind. But I guess people are jealous of these unique unicorns of humans that professional athletes are. I try to tell people, you know, the worst guy on your favorite team, he's a better athlete than you will ever be in your entire life. So maybe you need to get a bit of a different perspective on what these people are getting paid as opposed to what the people that run the teams are making off of them. So,
1: yeah. So, Dane, what do you think somebody (laughs) who uh, somebody like Chris could learn about being a pro from your book? Not knowing a lot about Chris's background, um, just assume that he's not a pro
2: at this point. <laughs> um, I don't know to me to me, the biggest takeaway is this kind of um, spinning plates thing that I talked about earlier. I think it's important to understand sort of the landscape that being a professional software developer involves mm-hmm. um, and being prepared to Start handling handling all of those facets, um, and the book it'll go deep into some of these concepts, but it's also meant as a as a kind of primer to be like, hey, this is a thing that's important, and here's what it looks like. Um, but you also it sort of it sort of opens up that channel of exploration for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's hopefully a way for people to. To know sort of what avenues they should explore next, um, right. And that is the kind of thing that would have been even even as someone who did go through uh, traditional computer science background. Um, when you sort of first go into collaborative programming at a at a company, um, you know that's not something they really teach much about in in college. Um, most most group projects are. Um, at least at least when I was there I don't know if this has changed a lot in the last uh, ten years, but um, when you do a group project there's no like collaboration on github or anything like that Right. Um, so just sort of understanding like some of the things that um, when when other people read your code or, or need to understand your code, how can you write code that is conducive to that and um, what would you want when you're reading someone else's code um, so that's again kind of where separation of concerns and encapsulation and things like that come in because um, they, they help you understand larger pieces of code um, and they sort of delay needing to understand the whole thing at once
1: right on yeah yeah alright let's give away some of this stuff what we got here uh... Okay, we got a code. I'll get you forty percent off uh, at, at Manning.com. Manning books, and you can like check out code like a pro there. That Dane wrote, or is writing. He wrote some of it, and I don't know. Maybe he'll be finished uh, next week.
0: <laughs> Probably. Not. Maybe this podcast will go out before he's done the book. We'll have we'll have to see.
1: Maybe. Maybe not. We don't know. Uh, it's PodDevHell19. That's your your discount code, P O D D E V H E L L one nine PodDevHell19, pod dev hell 19. and uh, I think it's forty percent off. I don't know. Maybe it's nineteen dollars off. I don't know. I actually couldn't tell. I think, think it's forty
0: percent. Yeah, think it is forty percent off.
1: Oh, does it say that in the email? I didn't read.
0: Yeah. Let's see. You're too busy reading other stuff. I understand.
1: Uh yeah I was pretty I was pretty busy uh yeah and we have some codes to give away so I don't know we'll have to have some sort of game or something like that uh, Chris you know about games of chance and stuff I, like I that. think
0: what I think what we're going to do is uh sim- we will uh we'll, once this podcast comes out then we'll give people a week to join the uh, dev hell mailing list. Right. And then we will just, how many codes? We have like six codes to give away, I think. I'm not looking at the email yeah. either, but I think right, it's five
1: we, or six. Yeah.
0: We have five or six. We will randomly pick five or six names off of that list and email uh-huh. them and say, here's a code you can use uh, to get a free book. So I think that's probably okay. the best way.
1: So they're in competition and, with all those spammers who keep signing up for our mailing list.
0: I, I thought you, I'm pretty sure, given the number of people that sign up, I'm pretty sure there's not that many spammers on it anymore.
1: I don't. I. am convinced that n- they're not all signing up, but I did get rid of all the Russian ones.
0: Yes. Well. Well, get on the list, and then you know you have just as good a shot as anybody to get one. Of those. Yeah. Pretty much. All right. So before uh, we go, first of all, Dane, thanks so much uh, for joining us. This is yeah, this is has awesome. been good. Uh, it's. Uh, it sounds like the approach you're taking for for the book is a very interesting one, and I I actually kind of like the idea about uh, focusing on more like, here's some of the skills that will lead to success as a, I mean, it's not always a great word, professional, but the idea that here's a, here's a bunch of concepts and ideas that if you are planning on being a programmer and want to get paid to do it and you want to at least do it decently, um, there's a lot more to it than just writing code. You talked about learning there for a lot of people, their first experience of collaborative programming is Um, is in the workplace and collaborative programming in the workplace is way, way different than collaborative programming in an academic environment. So I I like, I like to focus on that. And yes, I will actually check um, the book out at, at some point just to see, because although Ed was trolling me, um, Maybe after 21 years of programming, I can get a little bit of a refresher on some topics that that maybe I'm not so familiar with. So this is the part of the podcast where Ed Ed and I very briefly talk about what we've kind of been working on teaching ourselves in the last little bit. Sometimes it's programming, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not. So I'm going to go first. The concept I've been uh, doing some research into over the past couple of weeks is uh, CQRS and um, event uh, sourcing. So for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, there are two components. The first is CQRS, which stands for Command Query Responsibility Separation. I'm trying to say this without looking it up on Wikipedia. But basically, it's the idea of your, you build your application in such a way that you are separating out your reads from your writes. And the idea is that by separating them, it can, it can allow you, especially on the read side, to craft code and specifically craft queries of information that you've stored to make them um, more impactful and more targeted towards what it is you're actually the, the problem you're trying to solve with your application. Uh, and then the the complementary tool for it is the idea of Uh, Event sourcing, where you are going with an event-based architecture, where you're building an application where everything that's going on is an event, and then you write code that is little handlers, they're usually quite small for events, and then the idea is that you have a gigantic event store that will let you go back and replay events over time. And so the idea is that you store all these events, you have an application that reacts to events, and then you write these things called projections. I'm oversimplifying this, but you write projections that then turn all the things that have been stored into the in your event source. Um, you store them in a database that's optimized for reading. So the whole idea is you're trying to do that whole hexagonal uh, or onion layer style of architecture where everything is flowing one way into the application and then things flow out Outwards. The reason why I've looked into this is I need to start building out a version of OpenCFP, which is an open source project that I'm involved with. That's a web app for accepting papers for conferences. Uh, I want to build a hosted version that people are going to pay for. So I thought this would be a good time to go back and kind of re-architect things a little bit. The application works, but I'm not always happy with... Um, how it got built up over time as a collaborative project. So I'm looking to try to simplify things and get a deeper understanding of, of some architecture, some approaches that will lead to better outcomes, especially because I understand the domain of handling a call for papers, really. So uh, I have lots of friends who are knowledgeable about this topic. So it's been kind of good to bounce ideas off them. So I you know starting this Friday, because Friday is the day where I do all this other side work. This Friday, I start doing a few things. I'm going to document what I do. And maybe this will be the next uh, book that I write, kind of like a grumpy programmer's guide to CQRS and event storming, where I'm going to document what I'm doing and try to approach it from showing people write your tests for your commands and just try to make people kind of understand um, at a at a simpler level how all this uh, stuff sort of works.
1: Now do I have to talk?
0: Well, unless you haven't been learning anything.
1: I really haven't been learning anything.
0: Well, well, then nothing else to talk about, I guess. Yeah, I've been
1: doing some more. I've been doing uh, some more dev and stuff, uh, but not like a ton. And then I've just been working on different projects at work, and that's pretty much it. I mean, same old thing, some insurance stuff, some agriculture stuff, all sorts of different things. But then again, it's all kind of the same thing. You know what I mean?
0: know what you mean, jelly bean. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we've reached the end of yet another exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast. Again, Dane, thanks so much uh, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Hope the book is super successful. Hope you get it done on time because delivering on time is always a key component to having Machiavellian plans for taking over the world.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Very cool. Yep. So uh, as always, you can find every single episode we've done on this podcast on our website at Uh, devhell.info. Every single episode is also on iTunes. If you do listen to us via iTunes, please rate the podcast so we know that people actually listen to this part of the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, and I did mess this up when we started up again, at dev underscore hell. You can find me on Twitter as Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed on Twitter as Funkatron with the U. As always, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. Good night, Internet.